Welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Hello, welcome back. We are finally back. It's been a, a long hiatus here after the draft. Uh, things are kind of getting back to normal out in the real world, but there is still Vikings football to cover, and I am excited uh, to be back here tonight with with my friends here. Matt Freese is in the house, uh, Ryan and Dave. How are how's everybody doing tonight? It's been so long since I've seen you guys, uh, your faces, and, and so long since I've really talked to you guys. So. Uh, Matt, start us off. How you, how you doing? Yeah, it's been a minute. I'm doing great. Um, kind of, honestly, way more excited about the Vikings now than I was, you know, two months ago. Probably the last time we actually talked about anything, two or three months ago at this point. Like, definitely, yeah. I feel like these post-draft signings have really invigorated me. Right. And it, hopefully, we'll talk about it tonight, but hopefully there's still some things to come. Uh, and we can chat about that in, in some future episodes. What's up, Viking Jerome? Good to see you again. Uh, Matt, you got any, any drink on hand with you? I do. Um, Highlight IPA, Cigar City. Um, and then when I'm done with this one, I'm going to crack a Funk Citrus. They are out near the Philly area, kind of near me. So I can already tell I've come underprepared as I only have one drink. I think back in March I probably had <laughs> well, three I, or four I, lined up. I started up. on this one before the show, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go grab a second one to get me through the hour. So. <laughs> That's a solid idea. Ryan, how about yourself? How are you doing? What are you drinking? It's good to see you. I like the hair. I like the glasses. Yeah. You know, I usually don't show the hair or the glasses, I feel like, but I needed to wear the glasses so during the show I could watch this uh, Hawks-Bucks game, and I can't see that far without them. So, uh, no, things are good. I actually just got done with an interview for potential promotion at my company, and Let's go. Uh, that was a little stressful. So we're, you know, we're sticking away from beer tonight. We're doing the hard stuff. Uh, so I got some Four Roses small batch, which is kind of my go-to bourbon, and uh, yeah, excited to talk Vikings football. It's been a little bit. Uh, I think uh, maybe a couple of us were maybe a little burnt out after the draft. So I think it's good to get a little high, a little break, let some you know fun stuff happen, and now we can get back to it. Yeah. I mean, if anyone was burnt out from the draft, it's got to be our wingman back there, Dave. Uh, the, <laughs> the whole draft coverage, every show leading up to it. Uh, Dave, how have you been? I know the shows have kind of – taking a little bit of a breather but how you been these last couple of months and, and what are you drinking tonight well i am i'm doing fine getting ready for the big move I'm moving from colorado to texas here in two and a half weeks and other than that i mean we've climbed the pocket has produced some things but it's been way slow and i prefer believe it or not i prefer the the upbeat almost every day shows <laughs> And I look forward to when we get back into that groove. It probably won't be till training camp, but I look forward to then, and I look forward to talking about the camp battles that we highlighted in the title of this episode. So everything's good. Oh, and I am drinking a Colorado's own Voodoo Ranger IPA. Hey, those are good. Yeah, are not bad. Are, that's a good IPA. That, that's solid. Like I said, I only got one drink. I just I made I quick made a vodka sprite uh, 
unless I'm on the lake, I'm not really, I don't like to drink too much beer in the summer. I'm, I switch to mixed drinks pretty much. So uh, vodka Sprite it is tonight. Uh, we mentioned uh, uh, kind of the break that we've taken. And, and Matt, you were talking about kind of all the stuff that's happened uh, since we kind of last met and, and talked. And I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people have talked about over the past week, but the Daniil Hunter drama is over. He has renegotiated his contract. We've added on a couple void years. So, Matt, I kind of want to get your takeaways on on that Daniil Hunter renegotiated contract. Um, I know there was there were questions about his neck injury. Um, are you concerned with that, or how are you feeling now that For he's back in the fold? For the neck injury, I think we just have to trust what we're hearing in that he will be able to return to full health. I mean, I'm not a doctor, right? I don't understand the intricacies of, you know, injuries in terms of what the recovery timeline or what anything like that looks like. I'm confident that Hunter will be back to himself. But in terms of the contract, I I actually love the deal for the Vikings. We cleared up cap space this year. We take on not a whole lot of additional cap hit next year now. The expectation is that we would have to, you know, extend him or do something to make Hunter happy again. But that $18 million roster bonus goes away if he holds out next year as well. I That reporting is coming in the last couple of days. So at that point, the Vikings really don't have to give him an extra contract or they don't have to have it worked out immediately prior to that roster bonus being uh, sealed. Right. So that gives them a little bit more flexibility. It's not a situation like we've seen in the past where we had to cut Everson Griffin before like three days into the league year. Right. It doesn't end up being that situation because if Hunter's still unhappy with his contract and he doesn't want to show up, guess what? The money's not his anymore. And I think even at the price that he's looking at next year, I think it's like $20 million or something. Like you're keeping Daniel Hunter on that price. If he's going to show up and he's going to play, even if he's unhappy, you're keeping him at that price. And he has to show up to be able to get that money. Um, so I, I think it's another fantastic move by the Vikings, to be honest with you. Um, we've done a great job. I saw a tweet yesterday. PFF had given out their you know top 25 contracts in the NFL. I think Brad Spielberger, who used to be at Over the Cap, you know, the best cap resource there is, to be honest, did it. Three of the top seven, uh, it was Daniel Hunter, number one, or Stefan Diggs, number one, Daniel Hunter, number three, and I think Eric Hendricks was number seven, were negotiated by the Vikings. Like, we're fantastic at contracts. Sign Briz forever, lifetime contract for me. Yeah, but Ryan, I don't absolutely. Know if you have any added thoughts there. No, I mean, I think you hit the nail, uh, nail on the head here. I, I think I, I think we all knew that this Daniel Hunter drama was going to get figured out one way or another. You're not going to let an elite talent like that, um, you know, go unhappy into into the training camp, especially since he hasn't played in over a year because of that neck injury. Um, you want to make sure that you uh, get a full assessment of everything that he can bring and, and get him as many reps as possible uh, prior to the season. So, you know, Again, he can come back, you know, full steam ahead. So I, I, I think we all figured that the contract would get negotiated and figured out uh, in, in good time. And I'm glad it's got done early. Um, you know, we don't want to have to worry about that. And again, like Matt said, <clears throat> um, the the fact that we were able to open up more cap space, which then we utilized to sign another elite interior guy in Sheldon Richardson, um, essentially with that exact money that we saved uh, on on the cap space. Uh, 
uh, this year with that negotiation. Um, I think that's just excellent um, front office management there. Um, again, this is, I think, what we do well in terms of as a front office i think there's some other things that you know we have some deficiencies at but uh, i think uh, contracts and being able to you know uh, work those is literally top of the list for um for this team so hopefully uh we utilize the rest of this money well uh, throughout the rest of this uh this offseason anthony go ahead dave just put in that he thinks daniel's going to get 15 sacks this season i hope he does one see one of the good things about would, this contract negotiation, renegotiation, is there's no new money. They just moved money up front from the third year, and there's really no new money. He's not getting paid more. He's getting more money up front. That's what made him happy. It gives the Vikings a year, a season, to evaluate, has he returned from his neck injury? Is it problematic? If it is, they release him next year. If it's not, we've got him under contract for $20 million with what Matt said. The key is if he holds out, he loses the 18. And that is just brilliance by Brzezinski. Brilliance. And there's nobody else in the league that's that good, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I do question Anthony's, and this is maybe going off a little bit off topic here of in the scheme of how I laid out the the recap, but uh, he says Daniel Hunter will get at least 15 sacks. I struggle with that number if there's not another defensive end on the other side. Do you guys agree? Well, I think he's going to get 14 and a half, which I hope Anthony thinks is okay because that's what he got in 2019 and 2018. So, I mean, we might as well just continue the streak, right? Um, no, I, I think that's a fair point because previously we had a very strong defensive line. Um, we had... Linval plugging up the middle. We've had Sheldon Richardson, you know, for a year, or we've had, and particularly we've had Everson Griffin on the other side. Um, and the reason that's important is when you have multiple threats on the defensive line, it means that opponents can't key on one player. So last year, Afadio Denebo is not a fantastic edge rusher by any means, but he was our only player who could rush the passer at all, basically, after we got rid of Yannick Ngakwe, right? And he saw one of the highest double-team rates in the league among all players, right? I think that's something you're going to see from Hunter this year on third downs because the Vikings don't really have a, another strong presence who can push the pocket. You hope Sheldon Richardson can do that, and maybe he helps, and maybe the combination of Richardson and Dalvin Tomlinson, and, and we'll get to these players later helps a little bit, but I think Hunter is going to be the number one focus for for opposing teams. So I think that's a good point because he's going to see chips from tight ends. He's going to see a lot of help. Yeah. It, we've kind and, of and to just kind of step in bit. on that, though, to step in on that real quick, Matt, sorry to uh, cut you off there. You're fine. Um, You're fine, buddy. The, the fact is, too, though, I mean, to, to just play devil's advocate, and I'm not the one to be all optimistic. That's just not really my go-to stance here. I like to try to be realistic. But, unless you know, they're from worst, worst <laughs> unless they're from Oklahoma, that's right. Um, worst case scenario, you, you don't have a stud on that other side, right? We don't utilize this extra money that we have on an, another – you know, solid address or like Justin Houston or uh, Melvin Gore or Melvin Ingram or something like that. Um, you have Stephen Weatherly, who, 
you know, has been good in spots. You know, he's probably better as like a number three kind of guy, just to kind of come in as needed. And then you got some a couple of really exciting young um, toolsy edge prospects. Maybe we hit on one of them, and and then and that includes DJ Wanham, right? So you know, maybe we hit on on one of them, maybe we don't. But even so, we're going to have at least a healthy enough of a rotation, I think, to have at least at worst a fresh body in there who can come in and at least you know try to disrupt a little bit. And again, hopefully with Andre Patterson's um, work in, in in developing these guys. And again, I know there's some folks out there that think that maybe uh, the, the 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 Patterson um, uh, the the Patterson wonder, so to speak, is is a facade, and he just got lucky with Daniel Hunter being just great at what Daniel Hunter does. Um, but at the same time, you know, hopefully, you know, we can hit on one of these guys, and and uh, and then with the, again the presence of Sheldon Richardson, who is a proven pressure. Uh, um, pocket penetrator from the inside. Dalvin Tomlinson, who also does a really strong job at that, I think, uh, from a nose tackle position. I, I think that we're going to have enough where Daniil isn't necessarily going to be double teamed as much as, you know, maybe was alluded to earlier. So um, at least that's the hope. That's thinking, I think, a little bit more optimistically than I like to be. Um, but at the same time, I just kind of feel like there's that opportunity here where it, at very worst, we're just going to have a lot of good uh, a lot of young talented fresh guys available to show what they got i think my only concern with that would come if hunter gets hurt because then you really don't have anybody um and so then you're really just relying on interior pressure which probably isn't going to work too well so but that's uh, like 90 percent of our roster if we get if any of our good players get hurt we are effed right like we're so top heavy on this roster that i mean one receiver gets hurt we're screwed one running back i mean i guess we're okay probably but you know it's a lot of these a lot of these positions we're pretty top heavy on uh so we just have to rely on the coaching and hopefully they can develop some of these young guys with the exception of maybe cornerback now, which is strange to say. I, I was going to say corner and like defensive tackle. <laughs> <laughs> the two weakest points a year ago are arguably our deepest and most talented spots now. I mean, Matt, you just wrote about the new signing Breland. Do you want to give people a little bit of a glimpse of what that article was about? Yeah, so you can check it out over at climbingthepocket.com. I believe it released like a week and a half ago. Um, I also did a video over on the YouTube channel on Breland a little bit, talking about a couple plays that I thought really exemplified what he can do as a player. And I think when you watch Bashad Breland, the first thing you notice is his man cover skills. Um, so he was asked to play man a lot in Kansas city and he does it very well. I think he's a physical player. So remember back to Xavier Rhodes, right? A very physical outside corner who is susceptible to penalties. He had 10 in each of the past two years. He, he gets penalized pretty often. So that's going to be something that we have to, you know, that you, you kind of take with the good with the bad in that case, because he's got very good ball skills. he, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but he basically led the league in Washington when he was with that team um, to start out his career in pass deflections over like three seasons. It was crazy. He was getting 14, 15 pass deflections a season, which is which is a very high number. Um, and he's also gotten interceptions. There was a nice play in the in the Chiefs' first game against the Raiders 
where they actually lost and they let up like 40 points in that game and 350 passing yards to Derek Carr, none of it was on Breland. Everything was on the other corners. Um, wow. And you can see he's fluid. He's able to turn with players. He's able to stay vertical with Henry Ruggs. Like, there's a lot of good things shown in that game. Um, now, obviously, the way I've talked about him a bit probably would overrate him. He is a solid starting corner. He's not your prime Patrick Peterson, right, who's now on our roster, or your current, like, Jalen Ramsey or somebody like that who's going to shut down, you know, the best wide receivers in the league. But he's somebody you can feel confident about putting out there on a game-to-game basis. You know, he can hold his own against any player in the league. Maybe you don't want him on, you know, he's. it's not like Breland Island or anything like that, right? But he is a startable player, and he's probably our fourth corner right now, right? We're probably not projecting him to start, and I think that's really nice. Yeah. Dave, I feel like I kind of skipped over you, so well, uh, let's fine. hear your thoughts. Was, I'm going to move this to camp battles a bit, and let's talk okay. about Breland. Let's do it. Breland, as I show him right now, is CB4, but he very well may take over Dantzler's spot. That's going to be interesting to watch in camp. Who's going to battle out for those starting corner spots? Now, corner play this next season, I suspect, will be a rotation. Just like the offensive line is, Zimmer has developed his guys in to be able to rotate in and out and keep everybody fresh. And I think that'll be key to keeping Patrick Peterson on the top of his game. I Dave, think- can I interrupt one second? Sure. I got, I, I'm just curious. You said you said CB four. Who do you have him behind? Dantzler. I just I just you ha- so it's it's you got Peterson Dantzler. Are you putting him behind Mackenzie Alexander too? Alexander's the nickel. Uh, Breland's going to be outside with Dantzler or Peterson. Am I missing a corner then? No. So uh, Peterson Alexander Pe- and-, and Dantzler. We've got oh, CB okay. one, two, and three. Gotcha. Got it. All right. Keep going. Sorry. And, and I'll disagree there, honestly, but I'll let Dave, I'm going to let you finish, but um, I, I want to interject we'll there a little bit. So. Well, and that's fine, but I think, I think I love old corners and go. corners like Breland coming in are going to do nothing but benefit from being under Zimmer's tutelage because you know he's in their ear every day. Um and it's going to be interesting to see, are they going to put the more experienced Breland in versus Dantzler, who has a tendency to get hurt because he's slight. He may have gained 10 pounds. I hope he did. Um, he looks bigger. We'll see. Uh, and to back up, speaking of camp battles, you talked about Daniil Hunter and then the, who's playing on his opposite side right now, Weatherly's penciled in as the starter. I look forward to the weatherly Wanham battle because Wanham has gotten bigger and better and worked on it on the offseason. And Weatherly, a friend of the show, Luke Braun, who does Locked On Vikings, did a great story on Weatherly and how anytime he makes a mistake, he tries to fix that. He made a mistake being in Carolina, not focusing on certain things. He's supposedly trying to fix that this year, so hopefully he plays better. And that is going to be an interesting competition to see in camp. And with the rotation on the defensive line, be it on the outside or on the inside with three great defensive tackles, 
this is going to be this is going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and I I don't think they're they're done. I think they're still going to bring a guy in at defensive end. I really do. And maybe, maybe it's an Everson. Maybe they bring him back. Uh, though I haven't I haven't heard any seen any tweets from Everson lately. So I hope he's all right. But uh, I, I I just don't think that they're quite done at that position. Even though I do like Weatherly. Uh, but more so as just like a situational or rotational kind of pass rusher. Um, I thought he was good before, or, or decent, not good. He, he was decent before he left for Carolina. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carolina in their coaching too, uh, it's kind of gotten knocked on from players leaving this past year. So it doesn't surprise me that he had a, a semi-down year. Ryan, you Ryan, disagreed with me. What did you disagree Yeah, go back to corners here, Ryan. I mean, it's not even like that I disagree I, uh, per se, but I, I, I do. Like, I, I really think that the starting corners are going to be all first-year players with us. I think it, I think Breland's going to start on the outside opposite Pat, uh, Peterson. Um, I think he has a more proven success. He's proven to be a lot healthier. Um, and and he's been really good since he joined the league. I know, Matt, you did a whole breakdown on him. And, I, and actually, that was fantastic. So any listeners that are listening uh, or watching with us today, um, Matt Fre- at what, what's your Twitter handle, at Matt Freeze? Uh, at Fries Football. So my last name fries is football, that's Fries, right. like French fries. Um, football. <laughs> there okay, go. there you go. And uh, so at Fry's Football, he did a great breakdown of Breland. I, I uh, you know, went through that and it was fantastic. Um, my buddy uh, Crockett, who we all know somewhat in in the uh, in the Climb the Pocket Network, uh, he he really wanted us to draft him, and he's been high on him ever since college. And um, so I've I've obviously watched his him because I love to gloat when he's wrong about anything. Um, so I I've been watching him closely when he's been in the league and. Uh, for a journeyman kind of guy, right? He's been through a few teams now. Uh, he's been surprisingly solid. And Dantzler, although he had a really strong first year, um, he and I guess I'll say a pretty good first year. I wouldn't even say really strong, but a, a good first year. He just is having a hard time staying healthy. And I think the lack of reps that he's going to be receiving in this off season and with Breland getting those reps, he's going to lose that, I guess, hold on that uh, CB2. Um, and obviously none of these guys, I mean, I, Breland's played a little in the slot, but not a lot. Um, Dantzler, nothing in the slot. Peterson, he would only go to the slot when he was shadowing, and that's where his worst stuff came. So you're going to keep McKenzie in there as much as you can and then Gladney in there if he comes back. Um, so I, I really think that it's going to be Breland. Um, opposite Dantzler and allow Dantzler to really develop, continue to develop under the tutelage of those two savvy bets. Um, and, and, but to your point too, Dave, around the defensive line rotation, it's going to be great. Something I'd be interested to see. I know Sheldon Richardson spent quite a bit of time last year at the edge too. So it would be interesting to see those four big boys, um, you know, running running through teams on uh, on you know first and second down potentially, um, and then kicking Pierce out to to bring in one of those you know again younger addressers um, on, on obvious passing situations. So um, just a couple of things to add on the corner discussion. Um, I, I generally agree. I think you're. I think. The, the key is Mackenzie Alexander, who is actually teammates with Breland at Clemson. Um, fun fact, if didn't you guys know didn't that. know that. I didn't um, know that. 
but he is he is the only player who is who I feel is capable of playing a full time slot role, with the exception of Jeff Gladney, who we're not count who I don't count as part of the roster right now for obvious reasons. Um, so Breland and Peterson and Danzler are all outside guys. I don't think they have the fluidity or necessarily the quickness to be able to play in the slot. Breland played a couple slots that snaps last year, but it was mostly when like a wide receiver was in the slot and a tight end or somebody else was split out wide. So that's really not really slot snaps to me. Um, I think that Ryan, you actually have a good point where I, to get, I'm kind of conflicted on Dantzler because I'd like him to get more reps, right? And allow allow him to play in game situations. But I'd also like to put the best player out there. And I think Breland's a better player. The question for me becomes, what does Patrick Peterson look like? Because we expect him to bounce back. We expect Zimmer to help him as, you know, kind of a corner guru, as somebody who was able to help Terrence Newman extend his career, like until he was 38 or 39 or whatever, right? But if Peterson plays like he did last year, Right, And I think his play last year was exacerbated by the fact that the Cardinals tried to treat him like he was the same player he was in his prime, right? But if he doesn't get it back together, I think you could see him all of a sudden riding the bench because I think we have the ability at corner to do that. The other thing with the defensive line that I think is interesting, and I like the idea of Sheldon playing outside, um, and one thing I've been looking into recently is the Giants' defensive line last year. And what the Giants would do is they would have Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and um, Dexter Lawrence, who's like 350 pounds, right? So all those guys are 300 plus pounds on the field at the same time. And they'd run a, they'd probably call it a 3-4 Okie. It's very similar to a 4-3 under. So they'd have five guys on the line of scrimmage, essentially. And they would have a one technique, a three technique, a five technique, who was their they're big defenders. So that'd be Leonard Williams, or actually I saw um, Dexter Lawrence, who's like 340 pounds in that position a lot, which is very interesting to me that he's outside on the outside shoulder of the tackle. Um, And then they had, you know, like a seven tech or a wide nine, which would be Daniil Hunter in our case. Right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what would be Anthony Barr lined up over a tight end on the line of scrimmage. So those are your five guys on the line of scrimmage. I think that's something the Vikings could look to employ a lot. And that keeps, you know, our, our lack of, well, the defensive end group is weird because we have a ton of young guys who I, I don't want to kick off the roster in any case, but we don't have anybody who I want to start either. Right. Because we've yep. got one of who I don't want to start. We've got the two rookies who are, who are fourth round or higher picks in Patrick Jones and Janarius Robinson. You don't cut players who were drafted in the fourth round or earlier, pretty much. I mean, Willie Beavers is like one of the very few examples of that happening across the entire NFL in the past like five years. Like those types of players just don't get cut before the season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in terms of who we're willing to play there. And if we want to limit their snaps, putting three defensive tackles on the field with Sheldon Richardson being one of them makes sense. But go ahead, Matt. No, I, I'm enjoying this conversation, uh, honestly. And, uh, I, I am also, I I've seen some, some tweets out there of maybe suggesting, uh, putting Richardson at defensive end as well. So, uh, I might go look at some of that, that game tape of the, you say it's on the giants. Yeah. I might need to go last year. Um, there, there are two main things, which was kind of interesting. 
they did a lot of that where they would have a, I think it was an Oki front is what it's called. Um, and they also had a lot of where they had no one technique, but two, three techniques on passing downs, um, which is something we've seen from the Vikings in the past. I mean, that's, that's what the Vikings do when they go with their double a gap looks, right? Because they walk the linebackers up into the a gaps, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was kind of interesting to have the big bodies spread wider out when normally they're mm-hmm. in the middle of the formation. And especially on early downs, that really helps you with run defense, which is something that was a problem for us last year. So, the reason for it is there's most of the teams in the NFL are now running the wide zone, and yep. the way to defeat the wide zone is to stack that double tackle on the front, and that tends to do it because it forces the running back into plays to the outside, and it takes longer to go east and west than it does north and south, which gives your linebackers time to go side to side and stop it. Back in the day, football is cyclical. You'll find that things that were used decades ago come back in fashion and then they go out. Decades ago, this was called a 5-2 defense, and those big tackles would shade to the power side, whichever side's showing power. And you'd have a weak side linebacker, you'd have two linebackers, left and right linebacker, and would go over the end on the opposite side, like you said, and it was effective. And back then, it was used against the wishbone, the veer, and running offenses like that. This is much the same sort of concepts that are going to be employed this year, and I look forward to seeing it because the Vikings got hammered on defense last year, and I suspect this year they'll do a whole lot better. Yeah, I don't think it's specifically – Alvin Kamara rushing for six touchdowns on Christmas Day that, that led to this. But I like saying that that's the only reason that Zimmer is like, never again. Uh, because I mean, it's just such an exaggeration on each side. It's specifically that, though. Like... <laughs> like we, like, It was all season, though. But that, that was a very glaring uh, game for everyone involved. Yeah, that that. But I mean, also, even if like, even if we didn't go out and grab um, Tomlinson and and Richardson and all these guys, we were out Kendricks, we were out Barr, we were out Pierce. Like, we were missing a lot of uh, Hunter, obviously. So, I mean, even without adding all of like this beefed up talent that we ended up adding. That wasn't going to happen again. It had, or that wouldn't have happened had we been healthy. Like, it won't happen. Literally, again now. literally, dude is is rushing against freaking like literal guys who won't even make rosters this year. Like, come on, it, it's not a great accomplishment during a COVID year when we're out a lot of talent and he's going against CFL type talent. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, jeez. There were a lot of missed assignments, though, too. Like, it's not just based on talent. Like, it was just lazy playing and tackling as well. In that game specifically. Yeah. No, for sure. And part of it is probably exasperated by, like, how hard Alvin Kamara is to tackle, right? Like, he's, like, harder than Dalvin Cook to tackle. And I don't say that lightly at all because I think Dalvin Cook is the second most untackable person in the NFL. Um, Yeah. But uh, it, it's just 
I mean, it was so embarrassing. Like, to watch every single Vikings game where anytime there's a run play, both of our defensive tackles are four yards downfield. Like, every single play. And, like, sometimes Shamar Stefan wouldn't be four yards downfield, and that started to make me feel good. And that's when you know you're having when you're having a bad year. Uh, I saw a comment come across from Anthony. I, I guess technically we kind of we said camp battles we would talk about. So let's let's move along here. We've we spent enough time on defense. Let's move along here. Uh, he wants us to talk about the offensive line. My argument would be, and this is a good thing, and maybe I'm just. You can you guys can stop me if you think I'm wrong. I don't think we need to talk about the offensive line. I think it's. Oh, we I have think a camp battle. I think we have a camp battle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between oh, Wyatt Davis and who? Got camp battles. Yeah, Wyatt Davis and uh, Drew Sabia, baby. Come on. And every, oh, yeah. every other guard on the roster. So so between Wyatt Davis and himself to be good enough to supplant <laughs> any other player as a rookie. Like that's the camp battle. It's an internal battle battle with Wyatt Davis if he's ready enough to me. But every other position is solidified, correct? No. Like it's what what position Ooh. don't you think? All right. I think Davis we got pretty much already got in. his right guard spot solidified. I think he's when he's already practiced with the ones. It's just a matter of time before he moves up. Dave, you know hot takes is tomorrow night, right? <laughs> no, the other camp the other camp battle is Darisaw and Hill. You think that's a battle? Yeah, because I'm I'm I don't think the Vikings tend to keep rookies back unless they absolutely need them. And if Hill's playing better in camp than Darisaw, because Darisaw's learning, Darisaw eventually is going to inherit that spot. The question is when. And is it going to be by game one, or is it going to be like by game six? And I look forward to seeing how Hill has advanced. We know he's been our number one swing tackle for forever, but he's he's decent, especially when he comes off the bench. Versus how Darisaw's picking everything up and adjusting to the speed. Darisaw will eventually win. But the question is when, and I see that as a camp battle because I don't think they see the Vikings coaching staff putting him in until he's ready. Whereas I see uh, Wyatt Davis going in early because the competition is not. You know superior. what, Dave? I like that take, and the the only reason I like it is because Darisaw was hurt, mm-hmm. and so I feel like. That is like the one kind of reason maybe they're holding him back a little bit more than they would have, because I do think that like if you take him in the first round, he's playing. Like end of story. Yeah. Great. Garrett Bradbury started week one. Um, Darisaw, I expect to start week one, but we always hear about how much they love Rashad Hill, how much they love Oliudo um, on the on the right side. So maybe you're out of something, uh, and maybe week one we're rolling out. Hill instead of Derisaw. Matt Ryan. I, I I feel like had Derisaw not had that injury, he may have already started taking some one reps. Um, but again, he missed like I think it was like a week of practice, and that's kind of big at this point in 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 the season. But there's been a lot of great talk about what he's been able to do in the film room, and 
um, and just kind of how he's picking up the offense as a, as a whole. I think he does. Uh, you're right, Dave. Uh, I'm, what, what I will say is I think it is a camp battle. He yes. does have to earn that spot. It's not going to be given to him. Wyatt Davis is already earning that spot because everything else we have at that spot is ass. Um, so we have to improve upon that. And, and that was an obvious thing where Hill and even Udo to a certain extent, but Hill mainly um, has been proven to be adequate a decent fill-in at times like when he's been called upon Mm -hmm. and uh so you have to be better than that and since he's had limited reps he hasn't been able to prove that which is fine i mean i think derisaw will win that battle by end of camp and he'll start day one uh personally and and like i said i'm i'm I know it's a laughing joke, but I'm not giving up on my guy. I think he, I, I bet Samia uh, uh, beats out Dozier for a the final roster spot. Oh, I hope so. I love Samia's attitude better than Dakota Dozier's any day of the week. I'm not, I'm not giving up on my Oklahoma guy until it actually happens. I, I stayed with uh, Jeff Badette until he got cut, um, and then hey, that he's was on the most recent team, Oklahoma though. guy. He's on the yeah. Falcons, and he's going to battle for a spot as well. You know. There we go. So, so just to just to he's better than BB, by the way. He's better than BB, by the way. Well, okay, we can have that discussion later, actually. Um, <laughs> but so on the offensive line, um, I think actually I think that's a really good point with Darius that you made, Dave. Um, I think Oliudo is a borderline starter to me. Right, and he's his ideal role is a swing tackle. But I, for a swing tackle, you want a player who could start on the left side or the right side in an emergency. And in this case, if Darisaw is enough to snuff because he's been held back, I know he had core muscle surgery in the off season, and then I think his injury in uh, mini camp and OTAs and stuff was an additional injury on top of that. So if he's held back yeah. by injuries. Um, then that is a concern. And if he's not ready on time, you know, Rashad Hill becomes the starter until the team thinks he is. Um, Wyatt Davis, I think a, a dark horse for right guard could be Oliudo, uh, who we mentioned a little bit earlier. I heard something today, I think, in uh, Clint Kubiak's press conference. He mentioned the possibility of Udo moving to guard or trying things at guard. Mm. So if that's a possibility, um, then that becomes interesting, right? Because... He, I would feel better about him being competition for Wyatt Davis than I would about anybody else <laughs> on the roster right now outside of Mason Cole, who I think they're probably just going to Brad Jones, Mason Cole, mm-hmm. right? Like he's, he, they think he's a center only and they're just going to keep him there is my expectation. Um, which I don't necessarily agree with because he can't snap the football. Um, like, like <laughs> which is an important thing for a center. <laughs> So, I, I don't really get that one, but yeah, I, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but actually, this might be a good segue into the wide receiver position, right? Now that we've moved on yes. to offense, wide receiver three battle. Um, I think your leader in the clubhouse is Chad Beebe. Um, I think, well, well, I, I should say the roles In the clubhouse right? because, by default. Because if you have a situation where Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson are hurt, the player who takes their place is BC Johnson. If you have a situation where an 11 personnel, which only happens like 20 something percent of the time for the Vikings, which is like the lowest in the NFL, um, 
Chad Beebe's on the field because they like him in the slot and they like him on third down where he gets open within five yards of the wider line of scrimmage and then it's like a 50-50 chance of whether or not he'll drop the ball. Um, yeah, I would love for Amir Smith-Marset, who I think is a versatile player. Um, I think they said they, they were using him only on the outside, which, again, I don't agree with, but Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen can go into the slot equally well like and be just as impactful, so... If they're willing to put Amir Smith-Marset as a third wide receiver on the field and move one of the other two into the slot, I don't care. Um, but he brings an intriguing option to me because he's a deep threat and I think is a relatively well-rounded wide receiver, especially for a fifth-round pick. Um, I like him quite a bit. But it's just a question of whether or not they're willing to put that trust in him or if he's actually that good. Um, so any thoughts on the wide receiver battle, Matt? I'm hoping, I mean, we heard last week, uh, I think Tanishka posted something about uh, Paul Allen speaking on his show, saying how Amir Smith-Marset was was quietly wowing uh, some of the personnel there, or some of the staff there. Um, and so, you know, from from my experience, I was a huge BC Johnson fan. I thought last year was the, the opportunity he needed to, to kind of really show up and and prove that he could be that guy, and he couldn't. Um, not to say that I think he's bad, but he's probably four or five now. Um, and so I, I really think that job is open. Um, and to your point, whether that's outside and then you just move someone into the slot, like a Thielen or a Jefferson, so be it. But I I do think uh, we're going to have some fun training camp videos to watch of um, – Amir Smith Marset this this uh this summer. Yeah, you know, I think that we haven't done a great job of addressing this position and I know we are we're all in the same group text, right? Uh or twi- mm-hmm. twi- Twitter group whatever you want to call it. Um and and we had that discussion today where you know, BB is considered our wide receiver three by default when it when it comes pre-injury, right? Like just like you said, Matt, he's our slot receiver basically at this point in time. And I, I, I literally, you know, I, I don't get a lot of time during the day to to you know do stupid stuff like I did, but I literally went through and looked at every other team's wide receiver three, four, five, whatever it might be. And they're literally, I and again, some people in the group disagreed with me, and that's fine. Uh, I don't need to. I don't. I don't need that affirmation that that everyone agrees with me. But I don't think there's a worse wide receiver three on any team than Chad Beebe. I know there's a close call with the Falcons with Christian Blake and. Uh, I don't know how to say the other dude's name. You know, I call him OZ because I can't say it. Zacharias or something like that. Actually, Zacharias. Yeah, he's super fun. Yeah, yeah, right. And and he actually, I think, did well at times last year. Uh, and then I think the other one was maybe the Lions, who have, I think, again, I, I don't think their receiving core is better, but I think that their wide receiver three situation is better. Um, so when, when you look at, you know, the fact that we probably have the worst wide, or three, wide receiver three situation in the whole entire league, um, and there's other teams that have better fours and fives in our three, um, I think that's something we really do need to address. I hope... 
Amir Smith-Marset is the answer. Um, I'm not sure if he is. I, I watched some of his tape, uh, and I thought he was a talented individual. But you can't rely on fifth-round rookies to be heavy contributors at a wide receiver three. And I get it. We don't you you know, I, what was the percentage, Matt, 20-some uh, 20, 20 percent of the time or something like that? It's 20-some percent. It's I think yeah. it's like – it's I think it's a bit over a quarter of the time, but like that's minuscule. Okay, so majority of let's say a quarter of the time we're in that personnel. That's fine. If we don't use that position a lot, that's okay. But again, Thielen, Jefferson get hurt, we are screwed. If and and at worst, or in the most dream scenario, you have a fully healthy season out of those two, and you are only using that wide receiver three position at a twenty five percent clip have your wide receiver three at least be able to contribute on special teams. BB can't do that. He drops punts. He can't do kickoff. He's not a gunner, right? He can catch like, game-winning touchdowns. He, he did, and, and I'm not going to sit here and just say he's complete. Like, I mean, I'm not a big believer in him, and I think Miles Gorham could have caught that touchdown. I mean, he was pretty wide open. Um, but, but, you know, bring in a D.D. Westbrook. Somebody who could contribute significant reps um, if one of those guys goes hurt. And if none of them do, you have a punt returner at a wide receiver three at at 25% clip and a a solid punt returner. Bring in a guy who can contribute at punt return and who can fill in as needed if somebody's hurt. And and hopefully that's Amir Smith Marset. I don't think he has a ton of punt return um, reps at Iowa. Um, where like DD does, and I think we can get DD at a nice uh, cheap cost at the moment right now, and that would fill my Oklahoma quota. But <laughs> um, I, I think that you know you got to bring in that talent and bring in competition because right now uh, relying on a fifth round rookie and Chad Beebe and BC Johnson is not the answer for wide receiver three in my opinion. So uh, at the risk of offending you a little bit here, Ryan, I don't think DD Westbrook's any good at all. I don't want to bring him in. I don't think he's a more useful player. To <laughs> than Chad Beebe is. Um, the player I... But, but the, why? I mean, he had, he had three 600-yard seasons in his career already and a couple punt return touchdowns. I mean... To, to be honest with you, I think he's... Uh, his 600-yard seasons are primarily a function of how bad the Jaguars have been and the fact that he was used in that role. Um, I, I think that the role Chad Beebe fulfills in terms of consistently getting open is important enough that like it's it's something to have on the team. Um, I, I think Westbrook would be more of a replacement for say a BC Johnson than he would for a BB. Um, in that in that like he doesn't fill the exact same role BB does. The player I would like to add would be Golden Tate, who's who was cut by the Giants, I believe, and is still a free agent. Um, and Tate has punt return, return experience as well. Um, like you said, Smith Marset did return a couple of punts, but I, I, he didn't do it consistently at Iowa. And Wangu, who we drafted in the fourth round, didn't do it at all. He was a kick returner only. Um, but yeah, I, I just I don't love DD Westbrook, but I would like Golden Tate. The question would be, how much money does he want? So well, we have it. And that's, and that's the justification, match. I guess, too, Matt, is that, like, yeah, there are better players out there than D.D. Westbrook. It's just how much money we want to put at that position, given the fact that we do have another need, a 
pretty glaring need at defensive end. So I, I'm of the mindset that I'd rather pay a defensive end that bigger money than that like Golden Tate likely would require and and, and then go and, and grab like a Justin Houston type player and then have a D.D. Westbrook kind of guy. Um, again, I know you're not in love with him. That's fine. I get it. You know, we're not always going to agree, Matt. I, that's fine. Sure. Um, <laughs> you, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. That's great. Uh, no, just joking. Oh, my gosh. Uh, here we again, go. I, again, I, I'm off on a lot of stuff. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a football whisperer or anything. But um, just that type of guy who, again, like, to your point, I don't care who it is, just somebody who can contribute outside of – um, outside of just receiver if we're not using the wide receiver three as often as we are. So give me somebody who can be a gunner. Give me somebody who can punt return. Give me somebody who can contribute in other ways um, outside of that 25% wide receiver three threshold that we have. Dave, give me your wide, rece- wide receiver three th- thoughts here. Well, we don't play him that often. We have, I think, two very good tight ends and a very good pass catching Dalvin Cook. I think the weapons are there. The one thing I worry about is if Thielen or Jefferson get hurt, who's going to s- step up into that second secondary, you know, wide receiver two role, no matter who it is. Hopefully it's Marset. If not, they just go with more tight end and more running back. It's it's how they they do. I think the wide receiver three and how this offense has played in the last few years is relatively insignificant. Now, I wish they had a better one. BB tries to fill the Jarius Wright role of that third down, get you 10 yards, gets you, gets you the first down. I wish he did better than that. Um, I wish he was as good as Jarius Wright, put it that way. But Literally, the Cowboys have five receivers – or I'm sorry, let's let's just say three receivers better than our wide receiver three for sure, and that's probably giving them like not giving them enough credit. But uh, what I, I will I say, Cedric Wilson and Noah Brown and probably even and their C- new guy Semi Fuko or whatever from yeah. Stanford. Yeah, but what I was gonna say quick is. One data point that we're not, I guess, addressing is the fact that we have a new offense coming in and we're making assumptions based on last year's offense. And Clint Kubiak's been around a lot of different offensive systems. Of course, what's likely going to happen, he's going to follow his dad's footsteps, footsteps and, and run a similar offense to his dad and to, to you know Stefanski in a, in a way. But he's been around more... Um, offenses that run more of those three receiver sets and four receiver sets and whatnot. So I'm interested to see how he integrates his philosophy versus his dad's or, um, or, you know, some of the recent uh, philosophies he's been around. Yeah. And that brings us into our last topic here. So uh, Matt and Dave, if you want to give your thoughts on, on Clint Kubiak coming in, um, I know we've talked about it on past pods back in the draft, um, but we finally got some player acknowledgement, um, kind of about how he's running his offense. Uh, it's got a little taste of his dad's, but also a little bit of Stefanski, but it is just, quote, his own. So, Matt, are, is there any, do you have any concerns about Clint Kubiak this upcoming season? I mean, I, I don't know how much we're going to learn from, like, a coach interview about what physically they're going to call. Um, I think if you look at Stefanski, like, 
the one thing you could hope for, the one thing that was missing between Stefanski and Kubiak, and Stefanski continued to do really well with this in Cleveland, was the screen game. Like, Stefanski's screen game was very inventive, and we had a ton of big screens that hit very well in 2019, and we didn't see that kind of success in 2020. Um, and Cleveland saw that success in 2020, right? So it was just a fantasy play calling thing. So I don't know if Kubiak can revive that magic, but that would be nice. Um, if you look at Stefanski's play calling, I don't think it was markedly different from what Kubiak did last year. Um, uh, Gary Kubiak, obviously, with Clint. I he think just had a better quarterback. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's debatable. Yeah, very. Um, But I think the interesting thing and something you're seeing more with outside zone teams that could be interesting is the run game developments. Because, like, if you look at San Francisco, they run a lot of power and they run a lot of gap scheme plays. You'll hear what Cleveland did last year. Now, Bill Callahan is Cleveland's offensive line coach, and Bill Callahan is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. And I'm sure he's a lot to do with the run game, right? But if you look at that run game, that's a very diverse run game. You know, they still have wide zone as their, like, staple, but they run a lot of power. They run a lot of gap scheme kind of runs that are mixed in there. And I think that diversity, that ability to do kind of everything in the run game is important. And I think the other thing is the Vikings added two players who can be that now, right? We added Wyatt Davis, who's a bigger guard, who can pull in the run game. Like, I don't think the Vikings had a player who could pull really successfully in the run game prior to adding Wyatt Davis. I'm not sure if Cleveland's that guy. I just don't think he's big enough. And you have a Darisaw, you know. And that was something Zimmer talked about when they drafted those guys is they wanted bigger offensive linemen because our smaller guys were getting kind of beat up a little bit. Like, you saw that against the stronger defensive lines. Um, but from a passing perspective, I, I expect most of the same thing, um, which is fine because it's very effective, right? Like the Vikings had a lot of deep dropbacks. They had a lot, uh, Kirk had a very high depth of target last year. I think we want to continue that. I think we want to be a run game team that gets explosive pass plays because we have two receivers that can create explosive pass plays. And the, the good thing about Jefferson and Thielen is they can create it no matter who's guarding them. Like, you know, you're going to have situations like I, if you guys remember a couple of years ago when like Diggs and Thielen were like double and triple covered for all games mm-hmm. for a couple of games, like that's what you would have to do to stop them and stop the explosive plays. Um, which maybe we just talked about a wide receiver three depth, like that. <laughs> well, that frees up your tight ends to but, catch balls underneath and split to but, split. But absolutely, you'd have the tight ends, and Irv Smith is somebody who we obviously all want to see more involved. And the other question I think you ask yourself if you're Clint Kubiak, right, is who are the best players on my team? And we did a roster ranking recently. Um, I I don't know how many of us participated. Maybe we all participated. But Irv Smith, um, Tyler Conklin, CJ Ham, all three of those guys we ranked above Chad Beebe, who is our ostensible wide receiver three. (laughs) So I think those guys you're going to want to have see the field more than everybody else. And that means – that you're going to have a lot of 12 and a lot of 21 personnel. Yeah. But, I mean, to, to, to that point, though, that's not a good thing. <laughs> like, there's well, zero yeah. chance in yeah. the world that I'd rather have a tight end on the field than a wide receiver three. It's just that really? a wide receiver three currently is – I mean, you, Dave, I know you love the big guys. I love I the big love guys, the big too, guys, honestly. I do love the big guys. I do love the big guys, too, and there's a time and place – but efficiently, 
it's more efficient to have a wide receiver three who's competent in in quality than it is to put a a, a fullback in in you know a second and mid situation. But we would rather have a fullback in than a wide receiver three in, unfortunately. And again, I get I it. If you're most running, teams, but like, I'd agree with and, you. And Ham's effective. Ham's a good quality fullback, and that's why he was higher on that ranking um, than than BB because BB's not a good quality wide receiver three. I think we just need to accept the team that we are, though. And like having CJ Ham out there over a BB is kind of how this offense is just going to be. Um, we always we see the Kansas City Chiefs, we see the Buffalo Bills, and I know as Viking fans we would love to see our team do that, but that's just not how we're built. And I think once we accept that, which I feel like a good portion of the fans have, then we can just stop being upset at <laughs> uh, <laughs> at Chad BB. <laughs> Maximize your strengths, minimize your weaknesses, and if Kubiak does that and he keeps Zimmer happy, Kubiak will have free reign to do get creative. And I have a feeling he will do just that this season. So I have a quick question because, Dave, you just said maximize strengths and and, and minimize weaknesses. So you think it's more of a strength to have a 12 or whatever personnel on the field um, than a wide receiver three, like an 11 personnel? The why? difference is like why because is it because we have a quarterback that maybe is not a strength? No, our quarterback is Baker Mayfield better than Kirk Cousins. No, oh, Kirk I'm gonna Cousins, shut this down. This is where it's going. Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. Kirk Cousins has his foibles, but he is so a good why, quarterback. why would 11 personnel not be a strength then? All right, if he's a if good you're quarterback. looking at statistics, pure statistics, yes, passes get you more yards per play than anything else, right? So, thusly, a third wide receiver gives you that third chance to get more yards per play. However, if that third wide receiver is not good enough, then he is a uh, detraction on that. If that 12 lineup gets you shorter passes or passes to the tight ends or better running with an with a running back that gets you an average of five or six yards per play, that outscores and is more efficient than that occasional 50% catch by Chad Beebe. I will take that. It is more consistent. It drives down the field. It keeps you in better field position. And that possession, I will take. All that like, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more efficient for this team. How this team is built, yeah. just like Matt said. But, but if Kirk is the guy, that shouldn't be the case, though. That That's, I guess, my point. I don't see Kirk if, throwing ungodly amounts think, of yards to a wide-open passing type system. I don't see him fitting into that. He's better in I what agree, we I do. I agree with you. I agree with you, Dave. That That's the issue, though, is all I'm trying to say. Right. I'm going to come to Kirk's defense here a little bit and like just say – we, I mean, we can we can blame him for his flaws, but like he can only do as much as the offense is going to let him do. And I think that's right. And one you're of those right. Things, and, again, and that we, have we to should accept. probably. I agree. I think we should probably. Um, what, what was the terminology last year with Russell Wilson? Let Russ cook. 
Yeah. I think we should yeah. let Kirk cook and see what we got. And obviously we saw those really shitty stakes he made last year. But uh, and from a football sense, you know, let him cook and see what he's got and um, and see if it, it's a, it, 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 if we have, a, you know, the quarterback of the, you know, quarterback we've, for the we've long We've seen term him here. cook before. We saw it against yeah. the Rams on that Thursday night game. Uh, yep. And he was wheeling and dealing. I mean, we've seen it in spurts, so I know it's in there. It's just a matter He's of a very high, low cyclical type quarterback. The the best explanation I have for Kirk Cousins, and this is maybe a little bit off topic here, right? Is he is a perfectly fine quarterback, and he's a very good quarterback a lot of the time. And every so often, you know, a, a game might have a handful of plays where his brain just shuts off and it stops working. <laughs> And his brain stops. Like, his brain just literally stops working. And like, there's no explanation for some of his mistakes because they are not consistent with who he is as a player usually, right? Yeah. Like the mistakes he makes aren't aren't who Kirk is as a as a player, if you were to describe him, right? Because he's a very smart player, and then it, it just so happens that every so often his brain shuts off, and that's that's the yep. frustrating part. I call it vapor locking. Yeah, when the old carburetors and you get air in your gas, and it, and that's what happens when things go off script for Kirk Cousins. Yep, I think. And the funny thing is, st- is I think a lot of people think that I'm like a Kirk hater, and I'm really not. I think he, I, I do think he's a top ten quarterback, which he's right by most there. standards is a pretty good quarterback. Um, but the issue is, is that that's not good enough in this NFL, unfortunately, and. Um, and hopefully it is like, hopefully we can surround him with a team that allows that to be good enough. Right. Um, and hopefully we did that. I mean, I think we add a lot of great defensive pieces. I think we have some really good offensive pieces. I still think there's two glaring needs on this team, which we discussed today in defensive end and wide receiver three. And if we can address those, I think we're going to have a really strong chance at making a really quality season because I think he is good enough to get us there with, with those extra components. Before we take it home here, I'll give you a hot take. I think, given the Kellen Mond acquisition, I think you see Kirk uh, in his best form ever this fall. Um, And he will be in the MVP running by the end of the year. That is my hot take for this this season. It's, It's June, so... Uh, maybe he'll get hurt, and I won't have to see that to fruition. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty hot right there. I mean, I could see Kirk in the conversation for MVP at some point in the season if we wanted to use the phrasing at some point in the season. Where if we start off hot, like he starts off in the conversation for MVP, I don't think he's going to be able. Well, okay, so let me let me kind of hedge this a little bit because like. The problem is there are quarterbacks who are just so insanely good who offer things that Kirk Cousins cannot physically offer. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes, right? Um, that it's going to be hard for him to sustain an MVP level campaign, especially because the Vikings want to run the football, right? So yeah. like you need yep. to throw for 40 touchdowns and like 4,500 yards and have an incredibly good team or be the other end of the spectrum, like Lamar Jackson, where you throw for 35 touchdowns and rush for 10 touchdowns and a thousand yards, right? Like if you're not putting up the yeah. volume in terms of like passing yards or whatever, but like 
Kirk is going to get probably not even 4,000 passing yards. He might hit 30 touchdowns if the Vikings are very efficient on the season. That's just not good enough for MVP. So that's that might be the the crux of the issue for MVP there. Um, yeah, and I just think that we're going to see just a very, very aggressive team this year. Uh, there are no assurances for Zimmer, so there's no reason for him to hold anything back in – I think the same could be said for Kirk Cousins. I think I don't see Kirk Cousins signing another contract here just from a financial reason, not a talent-wise perspective. Um, and I think he also is one of those guys that's just like, no, I need to go out there, put together a great season. Uh, but a lot of that can be dictated off of just how the offensive run is run, like you said. Um, we are heading in here on an hour, so I want to take us home Uh with each of you touching on one training camp battle that you're looking forward to this summer. And Dave, I want to put you on the spot first. I've already said it. It's Wanham and Weatherly. I want to see who owns that edge spot. Ryan? Um, It's not necessarily a training camp battle per se, because I think a lot of this stuff is pretty set in stone. Um, I want to see how Kellen Mond performs in the preseason and um, training camp. I just want to see what going to prior to the draft. Uh, I know we did a lot of draft coverage. I, uh, and can you guys hear me? Sorry, my screen, I'm not quite sure. Your internet's Um, going to. Yeah, I'm sure it is. My bad. Um, so I want to see what we have. And I think that he is a player that um, some people are really high on, some people are really low on. I was one of the high ones. So I want to see where he's at and um, and see if there's potential in him to take her in 2022. So Ryan's is uh, the QB2 yeah. battle. So uh, Matt, how about you? Um, yeah, so I'm actually probably most interested, and this is something we have not talked about at all, really, is the the returner battles. Um, just because it was so abysmal last year, and now we've got a ton of options, I think. We have KJ mm-hmm. Osborne, who I think is bad, um, who, apparently <laughs> impressed, who apparently impressed in minicamp as a receiver, which is interesting because he was yes. not a good receiver at all in college. Maybe he um, steps up to be wide receiver three. Maybe he does. Um, no. But, <laughs> hey, man, I, if he's good, I'd rather have him over Chad Beebe. Um, but, that's fair. It, you know, I, I don't want KJ Osborne returning. I, I don't think that's going to end well. Um, Kenny Wangu, right, fourth-round pick. Obviously, a lot of return chops. He would be probably my leader in the clubhouse right now. He'd, he'd be who I expect to win it. Smith Marset has a lot of return chops as well. Uh, and you still have Amir Abdul on the roster, who I think is a very good returner, and I think will make the roster of the Vikings keep four running backs they have for like three years now. Um, mm-hmm. And he's somebody who I kind of like as a returner. He's pretty effective. So. It's interesting that they've never locked him in as their real uh, kick returner, but I, I think it'll be a really interesting battle to see who comes out of that. And the kicking competition as well is kind of kind of like special teams in general is is very interesting for the Vikings. Um, I don't love yes either of the kickers, but hey, like <laughs> they'll give us like heartburn. Yeah, yeah, something but, like that. 
Uh, Vikings and kickers, man. It's just, it's never going to go good. <laughs> Death, taxes, and Vikings kickers. <laughs> all things are, for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you all for uh, for coming on tonight. I know it's uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, and everybody in the chat and who's listening, I appreciate you uh, coming back, even though we've been off for a little bit. Not sure when the next show will be, but I can promise you that uh, from myself and everybody at Climb in the Pocket, once training camp and preseason uh get here uh you can look to us for a bunch of content throughout the rest of the season and hey there's games this year that we can go to so if you're in minnesota uh hit me up on twitter i'd I'd love to to meet some of you guys out there um and uh, i think i'm actually going to the la game so if if people are out there too i will uh i'll reach you guys out there so thank you about the la game we might need to talk yes Let's do it. Uh, Matt, Ryan, Dave, thank you very much. And have a good night, everybody. See ya. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody. (laughs) 